Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Bad Lamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. This is like uh, my personal Twilight Zone episode. Um, Everyone masked, everyone uh, sitting here, but I have to say, it is really, truly good to have you here with us today. Um, It is. I have, um, I had to catch myself today because uh, during worship I've been walking the uh, aisles and the, and the pews during worship and just seeing some of you and praying over different specific spots, so seeing you here actually filling those. And again, I'm aware also that there's many of, uh, of us are not able to be here today and I don't want to tease you with that. Hopefully you'll have an opportunity as we continue on. I have a few quick things to say. One is that um, we are keeping masks the entire time on uh, location throughout the entire services. Um, if when you're outside, which happened in first service, a bunch of people went outside and they're talking, they're taking their masks off, that's, that's outside, but I would still keep your distance at least and be wise in regards to that. Um, if those of you who are not present with us, if you are unable um, medically to not wear a mask, we'd like to know about that. If you can communicate that to us. Um, we're going to try to make some separate accommodations for that. We're not sure what that is. This is kind of a sounding out and feeling out, guys. Nobody has been through this before, and so we're all learning and processing as we go along. For those of you that have children, uh, we also are looking at eventually having some type of a children's ministry uh, continuing on. We're trying to sort out how that is. If you're talking to your neighbors and they're wondering why your church is gathering, um, you can tell them a couple of things. One, it's not over an issue of money. We're solid as a congregation, uh, and so it's not a money issue of any kind. Um, It's not a pride or essentialness or screaming our our rights issue. It's simply this. This is going to be a long-term situation, uh, very possibly for over a year. And um, as much as uh, we have our physical aspects, there are also a spiritual dimension to our life. And while some of that can be satisfied in isolation, the real core of the church is still in meeting. This is why God stopped posting at one point in time and showed up in person, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so there is a purpose of gathering. And we're trying to be very wise and very careful about that. We are at less than 25% capacity. We are requiring distancing, cleaning, all the uh, methods that are required we're uh, uh, in association with. So you can uh, gather that and share that. Um, If there is a point where we feel there's an ongoing threat, either because of our locale or internally, we will discontinue. And so that's why we thought it'd be better to gather, even if it's just for a month or two or three, if that's what it is, uh, than to be going for that length of time without. I want to caution you on a couple of things here real quickly. One is there's something I meant to mention in first service, I didn't, um, and I want to applaud the first service. Almost everyone there were first service people. How many of you are first service types, just out of curiosity? Okay, there's a few of you, then I particularly commend those of you still that are first service. 
we blew right past you guys for these last four months and have done an 11 a.m. only deal, and I've not gotten one nasty email about that uh, uh, during that entire time. <laughs> Actually, I haven't gotten any last nasty ones at all. And so I just wanted to applaud the First Service for being as patient as they have been uh, with us. One thing I forgot in First Service, so I'll say this now, is um, uh, we're not taking offering per se, but there is a box at the entrance there, and there are, there's two locations at the Information Center if you want to make use of that for offering. Then here's the other thing before we dive into the message. Um, there is something that I'm referring to as penergy. This is pent-up pandemic energy, and it's a negative force, okay, for the most part. We all have this pent-up pandemic energy that uh, is, is finding its way to target a lot of different situations or causes or people. Thus far, it has not targeted us as a fellowship internally. In fact, I want to commend again this church for its unity. There's a lot of decisions we've had to make that I'm sure have not been popular. There's a lot of issues in general. I know some of you are reading different people's Facebook issues and not agreeing. But so far, you've maintained the unity of the body. This is important because there is more attempts to divide our country, but particularly the church, than ever before. And we need to guard against that. Not that we can't have strong views, but we need to guard against that. So watch the penergy that you have. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the oil of unity that went down the beard of Aaron. And ladies, if you worked with cooking oil or, or guys with, you know, out in the car with the grease or vice versa, maybe guys sometimes with the cooking oil um, or the ladies out there in the vehicle, whatever the case is, you know that once you get some oil on you, it's very hard to wash off. You have to do like multiple washings um, or get some Dawn or something like that. The reason why is because the oil soaks into our skin. And so the unity, um, you know, one thing we should check on, I don't know if Jake's around or one of our tech people, but um, are you guys hearing something? Yeah. Yeah. One of our tech guys, if they could come in, please, because somebody actually has a monitor and the volume is up on it right now. And, and it's really kind of wonderful because I'm hearing an echo of everything I'm saying. And, and so it's like hearing wisdom times two. I mean, it's... Uh, um, so yeah, Justin or someone, yeah, if you can just tag this down here, I'd appreciate it. Um, anyways, when you have oil on you, it's hard to wash off. So far, the oil of our unity has been hard to wash off. It stays and has stayed so far. So I want to encourage you to continue to let that soak in and provide. And then the final thing I'll say on this until I say much more um, is going to be one of the differences between the barbarians pre-Roman and the Roman soldiers, that the barbarians were magnificent fighters, but they were individualistic fighters. Um, they would paint their bodies blue and then charge into the battle, uh, and then they just did their individual thing. They were destroyed ultimately by the Romans because of the discipline of the Romans. Each soldier was locking their shields to the one next to them, and each one depended on the one staying in place to protect the other one. And that discipline, that caring for one another, that provisioning of locked shields made them a dominant force for hundreds of years. So in this season of time, which may stretch out for some time, we need to lock shields. We need to be watchful of the person next to us. We all protect one another and how we're handling ourselves, not just here on this location, but off-site as well, too. So I just want to offer that up to you. Now, having said that, let's dive into what we're looking at here today. Psalm 46 is what I want to speak to you on this morning uh, in, in relatively quick fashion, actually. Um, this passage of Scripture is um, a significant one. There's a couple of things I want to kind of highlight about uh, this passage of Scripture. One is um, 
It's Psalm 46. Okay, we got that. Uh, it was written by a group of guys called the Sons of Korah, which sounds like a rock band. And actually, there is actually a worship group, I think, called the Sons of Korah. And they kind of take a, a ride off of this. And so the idea of these Sons of Korah is something I want to come back to. There's something unique about them. I've been wanting to talk to you about for a number of weeks, but today's the day to talk about that. They wrote 11 different psalms. So we'll touch on those guys in a little bit of, a bit of time. And Korah was K-O-R-A-H, not C-O-R-A. He was the sons of a guy named Korah, not a woman named Korah. Um, the other thing about this is this was Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., who we're familiar with, but who he took his name from, Martin Luther, who was a major reformer um, in the 1500s, started something called the Great Reformation. It was a reclaiming of Scripture for the church and a reclaiming of, 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 uh, of, of, of the individuals having faith in God and understanding that it's by grace that we're saved. It was a major transformation. He went through a lot of hardship in doing that. There were literally physical attacks on his life and other things that took place. So Martin Luther, the original, when in the greatest distress, was um, known to call upon this psalm he would read this psalm when things got really dark and ugly. Marty went to Psalm 46. Um, he would say, and was quoted as saying this, let us sing the 46th psalm in concert and then let the devil do his worst. Throw at us whatever he wants. But, but when we sing this, there's something unique that happens. So let's dive into this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. One of the key words throughout this passage is the word refuge. It also has a, a connotation of a fortress. And you'll see that develop later into this passage. So the idea that he's our refuge, he's a place of safety, a place of security, a place of provision, a stronghold, a, 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 a powerful place against the enemy. Now, fortresses have fascinated me all my life. If I'm in a, a country where there's a really cool fortress, I've got to go stop and visit it and see it. I just love crawling all over them, and, and, and there's something about them. And I, I, even the name of the church, Rock Point, has meant to be a place of refuge, this, this point of a rock where we find our salvation in Christ, but this, this safe place was designed as a refuge as well. Um, and so whenever I'm traveling, I, I, I look into those. Uh, here's a, a few quick ones for you. Uh, this is uh, Pena Palace in Portugal, in Sintra. And it's, it's really cool. It just looks so hard to attack. It's up in the mountains, as you can see. And it's got these walls that drop down and then into ravines that drop down behind that. And it looks pretty powerful. It is. But it was really a palace. It was a place of refuge um, especially in the mountain area, uh, to get away from disease in the low-lying areas um, or to, to have the coolness of the mountains. But it's just a cool-looking place, right? Okay, here's another one, though, that this has a little more depth to it. Now, this is Machu Picchu. This is the last stronghold of the Incans, okay? For those of you who aren't familiar, Incans were a, a South American uh, um, a, uh, empire, really. Uh, and the conquistadores, the, the Spanish came over conquering left and right. They had horses. Nobody had ever seen horses in the new land. They had uh, other weapons. And so they were quickly, in their hunger for gold, destroying everybody. But they never, ever got to this place. Machu Picchu remained hidden from the conquistadores and from most of modern uh, um, people until in recent uh, uh, seasons of time. And so this was a place high up, thousands of feet up in the, up in the mountains, a place that people went to for refuge, so that the conquerors couldn't find them, and in fact, they never did. Uh, 
And this is one of my other favorite ones, though. This is the actual visual aspect that you have of a fortress. This is um, Edinburgh Castle in Edinburgh, Scotland, and it's built on some volcanic rock. And, and you look at that and you think, man, I, just trying to scale that would be hard no matter what. But trying to do that while people are throwing things at you or, or defending from it, that is a fortress. I want that image to be in your mind. As we're walking along in this passage, God is our place of refuge like Machu Picchu. He's our place of protection like this fortress that you're seeing now in Edinburgh. This is the imagery that the sons of Korah are trying to communicate to us, that you're as safe in the ways of God as you would be physically in these places. Now, it goes on to this next section, therefore we will not fear. You know, if you're in a fortress like that, and people are coming at you with bow and arrow, who cares? And then it gives this imagery of a different type. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Okay, we're not going to fear, even though the earth gives way, the mountains fall, everything roars, the water, and the mountains quake with their surging like an earthquake. And so this was really important of an imagery because... Um, in the mindset of the people at that time, the mountains were understood to be the foundations or pillars that held up the sky and anchored the dry land. So if this is shaking, then this is like a cosmic event. The cosmic forces are, everything's becoming undone around us. And it kind of feels that way. This has been absolutely the strangest season of life, I think, that any of us have ever encountered. And it can feel like everything's becoming undone and our world's getting shaken I think it was back in the 80s. Um, my office at that time, being on staff, was where Jeff Brown is currently, and there was a copy machine that was on the other wall on the other side. And at one point in time, some of you might remember, we had an earthquake here in Michigan. Uh, only time I've ever experienced one. And so I'm sitting in my office working on something, and suddenly the wall began to ripple and things began to shake a bit. I thought someone had slammed the copier real hard against the wall. And then it shook more, and I thought a car or a truck had come off the, off the Utica Road and slammed the building. And then I realized I'd been experiencing this earthquake. Something that shakes our world, that, that, that rocks us and, 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 and pushes us. And it can be something that can, that can be shocking and we can feel like the end of the world practically is upon us. Now I had a brief illustration that was provided just for you guys today. Last night I went to bed early than usual. I wanted to be available this morning of course and so I, I crashed out probably around 9.30ish do some reading. I was probably asleep by maybe 10 o'clock. And then about 10.20, my world came apart at 10.20. And I got a brief video pulled off my phone. This was about 100 yards out my back door. Now, this, this went on for almost 20 minutes at this rate. I mean, they must have blown 50K worth of fireworks 100 yards off my back window. I am dead asleep, and suddenly my window's lighting up. This is much louder in person, and it's shattering everything going all over the place. I immediately got up, grabbed my AK-47, my rocket launcher. I went to the window ready to fire, you know, and then I'm realizing what's going on. I mean, you wake up, and you're, you're startled. You know, you're, you're, you're angry. You're, you're all sorts of emotions flood through you. 
and it was just shocking. I mean, the walls were shaking with this. But I do have to say, it was probably the coolest time of watching fireworks I've ever had in my life. The best view I've ever had. It was really cool. And after I calmed down, then obviously I started videotaping it. We have these moments in our lives where things are shaken, where it feels like life is unraveling around us. This is what the writer is saying. The mountains are falling. The very foundation of life is shaking. Everything's undone about us. Another translation in the message version says, we stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom. Courageous in sea storm and earthquake before the rush and roar of oceans, the tremors that shift mountains. That's the imagery of the world that's surrounding the writers. Then it weirdly shifts. It says, there's a river. What? There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. There are streams around Jerusalem, but there's no river around the city of God of Jerusalem. This is in part talking about a future situation, and it's talking about God's presence um, coming in such a way uh, that there's a, a, a complete rescue, not just a temporary, but a complete, when it says help her at break of day, at the time when things are darkest, and at its worst, that there's suddenly a, a, a revelation, a transformation, a presence of God, that the river is this thing where it refreshes and brings life. And so in the pattern of this, the, the first section here we see is this roaring of creation, and yet God is our refuge. This next session is the roaring of the nations. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. Let me ask you, is the nation in an uproar? Yeah, not just ours, guys. It's across the globe. Pandemic pent-up energy. And it's pouring into the streets, and it's all sorts of different things that are happening, one source or another. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms are going to fall. Regimes are changing. In the middle of all this chaos, both political and physical, he's saying, with all the creation, he just lifts his voice, and the earth melts. He just simply lifts his voice slightly, and, and everything dissolves. They emphasize the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Another translation says, Jacob wrestling God fights for us. The God of angel armies protects us. When Jacob encountered God, there's a wrestling that goes on. In the wrestling, Jacob was transformed and changed. And that's where he got his name Israel. A new name, a new focus. And so sitting here and saying that, well, all this is happening... The Lord Almighty is with us, but the God of Jacob, the one who wrestles with us, who changes and transforms us, who cares enough to engage us, is our fortress. Then it says, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease. To the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields with fire. Another one says, burns the uh, um, chariots with fire. Point is, all the grenade launchers and all the M16s and AK-47s are all going to get melted down. That with all the conflicts going on, God's just going to raise his voice slightly and he's going to bring peace. He's going to end all this. And then it comes to this last portion where it says, be still and know that I am God. This phrase has been discussed a lot of times. And there's several things about this phrase. It's not just that it can mean that the, that the reader just is quiet and recognizing God. But it doesn't necessarily mean to stop all activity and just stay in one place. It's more like an argument that the opposition should stop and be still. 
It's a recognition of God's glory and sovereignty and power that is such that it's almost a rebuke as in, be still. God's talking. Be still. Know that he's God. Know that there is a presence here. It's a command to not panic and in the process to recognize God's sovereignty or rulership or power in our lives and over this world, over the earthquakes, over the mountains, over the seas, over everything, over pandemics, over whatever. Recognize who he is. And in recognizing who he is, let there be a quietness and a stillness in recognition of that. Sometimes we need that quiet and we need that stillness in order to hear his voice. During this season of time, for some of us, I know you've had almost no peace and quiet at all. You've got kids in the house, your spouses are doing IT on the computer, like mine in the office from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. and at home, and, 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 and you just seem to have no quietness. For others, though, the schedule has been so disrupted that you found yourself having that quiet. Have we cultivated that in a way to hear God's voice? If we have done that, and if we look at this whole passage and have read it, talks about being exalted, and he finishes by saying, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Do we recognize that even in our weakness and in our sin and in our failings, God's presence still with us, that he knows who you are. I walked these aisles, and for those of you that have been deeply involved in this congregation, and some of you I know are not, you're listening by stream and have not yet engaged us in this level. And it is interesting today, because a lot of you aren't sitting where you normally sit, and you're getting weird on me, okay? But some of you are. And if I know that, how much more so does God know where you are? At home, at work, wherever the case may be, Jeremiah 29, 11 assures us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Come into my place of refuge. Be still, rest. Know I'm God. Know that all these crazy things going on in the world, all these things crazy stuff going on in the nations, and all, all the craziness that you're encountering here at church this morning with these mad stuff, that still somehow God's in the middle of it. And then here, a little twist now for the sons of Korah. It takes me a minute to get there, so get with me. Numbers 35. Select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. There'll be places of refuge from the avenger so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. They were directed, the people of Israel, to have several cities of refuge. They weren't fortresses. They're just basic cities. But if I kill someone by accident... It was an innocent act, a work accident, whatever the case is, but the family's going to want vengeance. If I can get to that city of refuge, once I'm there, I'm safe. They cannot kill me until there's been some adjudication, some, some judgment. These were used in part to point towards God's salvation, to point the idea that for all of us, all of us guilty in our sin, and yes, there'll be a time of judgment, but as we come into Christ claiming his grace, his action of grace and sacrifice, that we find refuge, not just physically or emotionally, but spiritually there is a refuge. David understood this when he wrote this in 2 Samuel chapter 22. He said, the Lord is my rock. He's my fortress and my deliverer. And he's getting all these things of what we just illustrated. My God is my rock. 
in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. But catch this line. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my what? You guys were much better than first service, but this side was okay, and you guys are still kind of lagging. So I want to hit this one more time, okay? Because this is important. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. There you go. There you go. He was my savior. So it's not just that he's a stronghold and refuge, but there's something salvational about this. In fact, he goes on in the 31st verse of this same chapter, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. This 10th verse, be still and know that I'm God. Another translation says, step out of the traffic, take a long loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything, even, I would argue, above your sin and my sin. He's not just someone to seek refuge when we're being dismantled by the politics of our environment or by the diseases that afflict or the tearing of relationships, but he's also that place of refuge for the sinner. What makes us a church and not just a gathering of people is that at one time or another, all of us have found refuge in Christ. That all of us at one point in time or another have recognized our sin and our feelings and we have fled to that city of refuge that is Jesus Christ. And that in coming into that place of provision that we find our sin worked for and our grace provided. The sons of Korah. Korah was a guy in the Old Testament who rebelled against Moses. He rejected the things of God and thought that he was going to be the one to determine how things were to go. And so there was a calling of adjudication as Moses called the people of Israel together and Korah and his gang stung on one side and and the righteous on the other side and and the decision was made when God acts and the ground opens up and swallows Korah and all of his buddies. It's a devastating moment in Israel's history. Talk about a freak out moment that you'll never forget. Who's good and who's bad? Okay. And that was it. Now normally in that period of time and in that vein, the children would have also been executed or died. And the scripture tells us specifically they did not, that the sons of Korah were not killed in that moment. Now maybe they understood the aggressive and, 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 and transgressive action of their father and they chose not to identify with it. Maybe they were too young. We don't know why. But the sons of a rebel who rightfully should have been executed were spared. That alone would be intriguing to us, except that something happens with these gang of guys, and as they grow and as they develop, they have such an awareness of the grace God has provided for them in saving their lives and providing for them that they become songwriters and psalmists to King David. And so you'll find 11 different psalms that have been written by the sons of Korah, the men who by all rights should have died and yet we're given grace by God. We all are the sons of Korah. We all have been having that that place of where we should have, but God's provided for us. He is our refuge. He is that place of provision. He is that fortress, but he's also our savior. And that is what makes the church the church. Now, 
Martin Luther, I told you, the original, when he was in his greatest distress, would remember this psalm. When people wanted to kill him, and they did, they wanted to kill him, he would remember this song. He would say to the people, let us sing the 46th psalm in concert and then let the devil do his worst. He called Psalm 46 his song of holy confidence. It's also known as Luther's psalm. And it was out of this that he wrote a very well-known hymn. You all know it. Ein feste Berge es unser Gott. I mean, I'm sure you all sang it. We remember it as a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. It talks about how in the midst of strife, difficulty, and challenge, that he continues to be that fortress that is unassailable. That if it weren't for a man of God's own choosing, as the scripture puts, we'd be lost. But, but with this man of God's choosing, with Jesus Christ, who is it? It's Jesus Christ. That the enemy doesn't stand a chance. It was Martin's attempt to internalize the 46th Psalm. Our refuge. Amidst all the craziness. Our God who stands with us. I have been so proud of this congregation in this season of time. You guys have handled things so well. We have a long way to go. And I, I really ask, be patient uh, with one another. Be patient with us. For those of you who are online still, um, there is something special about being here. And I'm not trying to tease you with that, but there is something special here. Having said that, um, we continue to uplift you in prayer. And we're going to work our best to make sure we make some provision of some type, whether it's separate gatherings or whatever else. So communicate with us. Now, as you leave here today, respect each other's space. You know, don't get handsy. If you want to talk outside, that's fine. Take a mask off and give each other space. And let's be in touch with each other. But realize the teaching that went out today. Let him be that refuge for you. Whatever's shaking you, whatever's going, come back and get quiet before God and recognize he's in control. He's in control. You guys really do look good, I got to tell you. Father, I thank you for your church. Lord, I ask your blessing upon those who continue to watch the live stream for whatever those reasons are, and that you'd encourage them and strengthen them right now, knowing even now they're enabling this gathering in part. Lord, I pray that you'd protect us as a people, that you strengthen and encourage us. We pray for the leaders of our country, Lord, that you would open their minds to your truth and that they would govern well. Meanwhile, continue to lead us as we seek refuge and our salvation in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have created two prayer stations up front uh, to give a little distancing. So if you need to have prayer, we'd like to have prayer. You can come up and someone will pray with you. If you're online, uh, that's available for you uh, as well too. A lot of people standing by. God bless you. I will see you again soon. Take care.